If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. This is another of our popular Listener's Choice interviews, which we're playing over the weekend. We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers, and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today I'd like to introduce Brett Candle. Brett's an eventing specialist, competitor, trainer and coach. He's a three-star event rider and he's on the Queensland Elite Squad and he also combines teaching with riding, competing and coaching. How are you today, Brett? I'm great, thanks. Good, good. Brett, we normally start off with a favourite quote. I think you've got one or, or a couple when you're teaching. What have you got for us? Well, what I probably say a lot is uh, heels down. Yep. <laughs> That's something I say a lot. But when I'm just talking to people or kids, I teach a lot of kids and teenagers, I suppose. I just talk about the fact that if you want to work with horses, you've got to be patient. If you're not patient, you can't work with horses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's probably a good one. I'll talk to you a bit a bit about career with horses in a minute. Now, that heals down. Do you find yourself saying it more when people are doing cross-country, when people are doing show jumping or dressage? Do you say it equivalently across all three phases or more so in a particular phase? Uh, more so in cross-country. I really harp on it because it becomes it's a real safety issue and um, I see it as a big area or an area in which a lot of our competitors can improve getting that lower leg down and around the horse mm-hmm. uh, makes you a lot more secure and, and enables you to do a much better job riding the horse too. So yep. it's actually not that hard to do for a short period of time. You can get people to put their heel down for a moment, but keeping it down and keeping it there two over and after the fence is, is not an easy task. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's sort of what I was looking at. I thought you might be saying that more in the cross country, more for the security. So that was good. Yes. Yep. For sure. Tell us about how you started with horses and what your first memories were. Uh, well, I, I got three older sisters. They all got a horse and I told my parents I didn't want a horse. I wanted a donkey. So my first riding animal was actually a donkey. Oh, so they actually got you a donkey. Yeah, I did. Don, I called it. Pretty clever, wasn't it? Yeah. I too. I took him to school and everything. But growing up through Pony Club, I, I wasn't, horses weren't my passion. I like all and every sport and I played cricket and soccer and footy and everything else. But um, I had three older sisters who rode, so I either went and rode or I went and watched. So I'd rather ride than watch. So mm. it wasn't until I sort of got through those, I guess you'd call it awkward years for boys, especially, you know, mum nagging me to do dressage and and only doing it because she made me do it. But once you actually sort of got a little bit better at it and understood the importance of it and got some success, that's when sort of the passion took off, I suppose, not until the late teenage years, once I got a taste for eventing. Mm. I liked jumping, and I did dressage under duress. And then when I went eventing, I thought, this is this is the sport for me. So mm. it took off mm. from there. Tell me, what school was it? Did you take your donkey to school or your pony to school? It was actually uh, both Walvi, which is here in Gympie, 
and then we moved uh, west to Gamary, which is a little uh, town here northwest of the Sunshine Coast. Yep. And we used to have our, I don't know what the parade was. I've got photos of it, but uh, there I am. Every other kid's got their dogs. It must have been Pet Day or something <laughs> like that. And uh, I've got my donkey. He had a big sombrero on with the holes cut out and this big sombrero hat on top of him. And here I am riding him around the oval. So I must have been about grade one and grade two. Yeah, yeah. I bet you were the most popular kid there. No. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember that much, but you wouldn't have it these days. Yep, yep. Now, Brett, you're coming in from a bit of a different point of view because you're combining your teaching with riding and competing. Did you ever work with horses? Did you go in and actually have a job with horses besides coaching? Because I know that you coach, you coach quite a lot on the weekends, but, you know, how did that work out? Have you ever done the manure picking up patrol is what I want to know? Oh, yeah, very much so. And that's probably why I kept being a school teacher. So (laughs) I studied in Brisbane. I lived down there and uh, I pretty much lived at Benalban Lodge with Jim and Naomi Mm O'Farrell. And I was pretty much their working pupil for, I guess, three years. And I'd sort of do enough university to get by and I spent an awful lot more time working with horses then and I was yeah, cleaning stables, working horses, helping, doing just the, the job that you've got to do, I guess, as your apprenticeship. And then when I finished uni, I thought, oh, well, I've done the degree. I better do a couple of years of teaching, school teaching. And then you start doing a bit of coaching and riding other people's horses a little bit on your own and, you know, you start in the dark and finish in the dark and, um, it's sort of like you, you just overload yourself, I suppose. And I sort of thought, well, I've got a choice here. I can go full-time into the um, horse industry. That could have been done. Or I can stick with school teaching and keep horses pretty much as my passion, I suppose. And you're constantly sort of balancing it. You, you, you always overload yourself and take on too much. And then you've got to cut back and keep it reasonable and manageable. And it's a never-ending cycle, I suppose. Mm. But yeah, I've considered a few times since going full-time with the horses again, but I'm a dad too, so I've got two children, and it's very much weekend work and after-school work, and so you know, I sort of try to keep that sort of work down so I can still be a dad and enjoy what I do and that sort of thing as well. I hope I've answered that question. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that, um, you know, you might say you're a part-time coach and part-time trainer of horses, but you sound like you're pretty much still into it. So, uh, Yeah, if, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if someone wants to start and looking at the horse career as a career, What sort of core skills or character traits do you think they need to start off in the horse industry? Well, first of all, the first thing that comes to mind is you've got to do an apprenticeship. I mean, it's a tough industry. There's a lot of very good people around in it. It's a very rewarding industry, but it's a tough industry to break into and a tough industry to make a living out of. You've got to work hard, so you've got to be good at it Mm -hmm. if you're going to do well. So you really need to do an apprenticeship. You know, get a couple of years of pony club and three or four horses and work for someone for six months or 12 months is not enough. You need to go and do minimum three or four years with at least a couple of high-profile people who have your best interests at heart. You know, there's some good instructors around that have people with them, and you can see after a couple of years that those young kids that are starting out really have matured and developed and gained a lot of knowledge. Mm. So first of all, don't think you're going to be a professional after working for someone for a year. Mm -hmm. You know, the tip of the iceberg is what you're going to learn. So that's the first thing. You've got to be really patient. Well, before I say that, actually, it's got to be a passion. You know, you, it can't be just a job because there's a lot of hours and it can be very rewarding and it can be very demanding as well. And there's ups and downs. And so it has to be a passion. And it's got to be what you love to do. And then, yeah, you've just got to be prepared to work for a long time. You've got to be resilient, you know, put up with those tough moments and not give up. You see, you see a lot of 
people come through and, you know, they have a lot of success and they've got a lot of support around them and then when they sort of have to do it on their own, I guess, and you have a few tough times, it really does test your mettle. So, yeah, resilience, patience. The longer you work with horses, the more you realise that there's no quick fixes or quick answers or tricks. It just takes a long time to get those good results. So um, an apprenticeship, patience, passion, resilience and a willingness to learn. Mm, mm. And you said very interestingly that, you know, don't think that you're going to start at the top. It takes, you know, if you look around at, at professional horse people, they've been doing it for a long time. You don't just go and get your first qualification and say, right, I'm, I'm there now, I'm at the top. That's just the beginning of your horse career. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yep. Mm. And it gets sort of unfortunately, especially for me, the more you learn, the more you realise you don't know. Yes. And uh, so then you're just always seeking knowledge and, you know, you've got to be someone who looks at what other people are doing and, you know, you look at the good people, what are they doing and, and copy them and see if it works for you and ask and mm. yeah, mm. all that sort of stuff. All right. What's the best thing about working in the horse industry? Oh, the horses. <laughs> just That's pretty easy. I just like, you like spending time around horses, especially good horses. You know, horses, the older I get and the more that I've, you know, the more experience I get, the more I appreciate that horse that is both an athlete, but also the one with the good mind, the one that wants to work and has this desire to work. And, um, you know, they're just a pleasure. That's why you get out of bed at five o'clock in the morning. You know, mm. it's pretty hard to get out of bed at five o'clock in the morning to ride something that's going to give you a hard time, but you'll bounce out of bed to ride that good one. And they're the ones that provide you with the enthusiasm and the rewards and the passion. But the horse, horse people are great too. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a world of its own. It's all all encompassing, I suppose. You, you sort of just live in that industry and you get, you end up with all your friends. Most of your friends are all horse people and competitions and, and clinics and that end up being social occasions as well. And so, yeah, working with horses is, is one thing, but, yeah, all your mates end up being in the industry as well because that's where you spend all your time. Mm, mm. And I like the way that you said, you know, the good horses and those with a good mind. And I think if you get horses that are willing to learn and people around you that are willing to learn, it's just wonderful. Yes, yep, yep. Mm. And that's always a balancing act too. I, th- I think a lot of those amazing athletic horses can be can be quite tricky <laughs> too. Yeah. yeah, so you've yeah. got to be really careful. You know, when you want that elite competitor, you've got to get the top athlete. But you know, but sometimes the higher you get up the grades, mm. certainly I see that in eventing. Then sometimes it's that horse that's got the good brain is the one that has the the success. They're not a freakish jumper or, or, or an amazing mover. Mm-hmm. It's that horse with with desire to work. Yep. Now, you talked about spending time and doing your apprenticeship with Jim and Naomi at Benalban Lodge. Who else has influenced you? Well, since then, quite a few people, but mm-hmm. just I'll, I'll sort of expand that out a bit. I, I think if you're going to have success and going to do well, you've got to have a good team of people around you, people that you trust and that you know have got your best interests at heart, but, but also people that you respect. So, for instance, at the moment, I've got three trainers that they could tell me to stand backwards on a horse and close my eyes and I would do that. You know, I've got Emma Flavelle that helps me with my dressage and she's brilliant. She's a brilliant coach and uh, I've got full faith in her. And if I just, I know if I do what she says, I will continue to improve and do well. So Mm -hmm. then um, Guy Crichton, I mean, he's forgotten more about show jumping than I'll ever know. But again, Guy is just brilliant and he's really good for me mentally as well. He he understands how I work. Mm -hmm. And then I've got a guy that I call sort of my dialer coach, but I've had an association with him for over 20 years now, and that's Glenn Pierce. And he's Mm -hmm. um, 
He's been a World Cup show jumper. He's been a Grand Prix dressage rider. In fact, he's had one horse that did both World Cup show jumping and Grand Prix. And he's pretty much my dialer coach now. You know, I get him to go over my videos and have a look at things. And if I've ever got sort of uh, behavioural issues or, um, you know, I'm not too sure about this, that, or the next thing, Glenn's a guy that I call. And I had a lot of lessons with him years ago. Uh, but I live a fair way away from him now. But that relationship's still there. And, and with all three, you know, those those that team that's around me, mm. it's really important that they're honest. You know, if, if I do a lousy job, they tell me and that's okay. You know, mm. that way when they also give you praise, you know, it's genuine and real. So sort of going back to, to what we were talking about earlier, it's important that you can take criticism. Yes. You know, you need to be, sometimes you need to be told and told the hard way and so those three are three people that are really important to me now. But Glenn, for a long time, years ago, Di Jenkin was excellent. And, you know, even people that just are on the periphery there, like Jocelyn Park, that you just bounce the idea off occasionally. I hadn't seen Jocelyn for ages, but she was at the Queensland three-day event there last year. And there was, I don't know, a thousand people there. I've mm-hmm. got no idea. A lot of people there. And the one person I sought out to ask about my cross-country round, how did it look, was, yes. um, was Jocelyn. You know, yep. and, I, and I haven't really had much to do with her for the last 10 years but um you have those people that you lean on but she was another important one for me Mm -hmm. as well so you need a good team around you yes yes definitely now you've talked about people what about horses you know thinking back to when you first started who's been key and made you you know to influence you and help you with your career well, it started with a few little ponies that I fell off an awful lot of and I had a little grey one that we used to ride bareback and and we'd jump down laneway with no reins and no stirrups. Jim O'Farrell would do that. If you did that these days, you'd probably be in all sorts of trouble <laughs> legally. But so we did all that crazy stuff on that little pony that I guess you just learned to stay on. And then then I had a horse at Pony Club, but I just did everything on. And I look back now and the stupid stuff we used to do and how we lived through it, I don't know. But then my big break and pretty much the horse that made me and I owe an enormous amount to was a big station bred thoroughbred gelding that had called Alchemy. And he went three star and I had a lot of success on him and, and I learned an awful lot. And, you know, I'd love to get a horse like that again now. He just had this amazing desire to work and to learn and he just tried so hard and I had him for a couple of years and he went three star and then I sold him for what back then was a lot of money and he pretty much set me up for life. The money that I got from him, fortunately, I invested into property and I bought my first property with, he didn't buy it all, but he bought a fair bit of it and that has really gave me a massive head start in life. So I'm very, very fortunate that horse. But what I learned on him and also because I just had enormous confidence, I think confidence is such um, an important ingredient. If I didn't know how ordinary I was, I probably wouldn't have had that success. But he instilled that in me and we just went. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, by the end, he was sort of medium, medium advanced dressage and three-star eventer. And because of that, then you get a name and a reputation and then, you know, you're confident in your own ability to keep going with other horses. So I've had a fair few since and I've got a really good one. Uh, now he's not mine. He belongs to Lars and Madonna Hedberg. He's a, a warm blood stallion called Premonition and he's just sort of taken all before him. He's just a super, super horse, but I'm glad I've got him now and not 20 years ago I yeah. think, because uh, I had to be a little bit patient with him. And because we've sort of looked after him, he's just turned into an amazing horse. Mm. One I'm mm. very, very fortunate to ride. Sometimes people talk about a horse that they had 20 years ago and say, wow, I wish I had him now, but you've sort of got it, haven't you? You know, this is the horse yeah. that I, <laughs> yeah. I didn't want 20 yep. years ago and now I've got him, yeah. That's right, yeah, yeah. What do you think your proudest moment's been? 
I don't know if I've got a proudest moment. I mean, I was just teaching now on the weekend, and there was a you know young girl there from Bundaberg, and she was on this horse there. I mean, th- this happens occasionally, and she just had all sorts of trouble with her horse. It was giving her a hard time, and the hardest thing I had to work on was just to be patient, keep doing what we ask, and keep working. And you know, after it's a two-hour lesson and four people in the group, but after two hours, the horse started to go really well, and, and I got goosebumps. You know, yeah. I was just so pleased for her. We didn't do anything amazing. We're just very quiet and very steady. And so just moments like that, I just, oh, I was just stoked. I know that um, we got such a good result. That's what gives you massive kicks. I mean, it's great to win. Premonition won the three-star class at the three-day event last year, and that was huge for me because that's the first time I'd ridden three-star in a long time, marriage, mortgage, children. Mm-hmm. Absolutely stoked with that just to ride at that level again and beat some very good competitors from New South Wales. So that was, um, you know, most recently is... Um, competitively was my best achievement just the fact that um he, that horse is going really well i'm, I'm really really proud of mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Oh, it, yeah lots and lots and lots of little ones happen along the way thinking about where you are now and thinking about getting up and winning a three-star what do you think's been your biggest challenge time <laughs> pretty much yes because you're, ju- you're juggling the the job with yeah. the horses yeah yeah yep, yep. and you can never really get uh everything balanced and sorted you know it's just it's just difficult you you can do everything better you know you, you'd like to spend more time teaching so you can earn more money you'd like to spend more time with riding more horses you need to spend more time with your family that's just the constant the constant pressure you need an extra two hours in every day and you need an extra day in the week I think what time management tips would you be giving people though you know because People can be in the same boat, you know, if they want to do other work besides horses and they've got to juggle the two. And that's always a lot of people say they go to horses because then that way they can spend the time that they want to spend. But, you know, I'm sure we've got listeners that are juggling time, you know, even people that don't keep their horse at the same place, you know, and they've got to drive to their adjustment or they've got other things. What time management tips would you give people? Well, I think I don't have many good ones. You must be doing something right. <laughs> yeah, routine. Routine's really, really important. You know, like at the moment, I've got to get out of bed at five o'clock in the morning. That's no big deal, really. But to get into that routine, after you've got out of bed for two or three weeks at that time in the morning, it just becomes part of your daily habit. And so then it's sort of normal. Well, mm-hmm. I think routine is good, you know, and you've got to work to earn your rests. You don't have holidays or you don't have a, a break until you've got so many of your job's done, if mm, that makes mm, sense. Yeah, mm. my, my big thing, I just have to get into a routine and make that routine work. And, and you just got to, unfortunately, a lot of other things have got to miss out, you know. We don't yep. get to play golf or go to the movies that often. But I think so, sometimes, too, we get a little bit, um, well, I know, I've got to keep reminding myself that you don't have to always get everything done right here and right now. And if the grass is a bit long over there, then that's okay. You know, you used to work too hard to get all that stuff sorted. My place is certainly not a pigsty now. It's neat and tidy, but, yeah, sometimes you just got to not worry so much about some things as well, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I'm getting off track there now, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, you're still trying to organise everything. Yeah, yeah. So you're really putting the priorities, you know, where you want to go and you, you're prioritising. So you're not worried about things that's that right. are at a lower priority. And that's, that's still part of your time management tips. Now, I'm going to take you back to your favourite quote, or, you know, the heels down, cross country for the security, lower leg. Putting on your coach's cap now, what's another, and you might tie it in with the, the heels down and the security, what's another common fault that you see with riders going cross country? I think we've got to make our expectations a little bit 
higher, it's a bit easier to get a little bit over-competitive and sort of chase horses up the grades when things aren't quite established. So it's not really a positional thing there, but, you know, cross-country is a challenge and every horse sport has got its element of danger. But we need to make sure that our horses are well-educated, brave and jump well before we go up the grades. So, you know, if you've got a horse that's having problems at prelim level, whether it, you know, throws its head or gets crooked or, you know, is a little bit stoppy or, or whatever the issue might be, you get it. You know, make your expectations very, very high for the way the horse travels. It's got to stay straight and it's, you've got to ride in a good rhythm and you've got to have a good position. And if it's not good enough, don't go higher, you know, the, one of the big challenges for cross countries when you go up a grade is is not always the fact that you've got to jump bigger fences. It's the fact that you've got to go faster. Mm-hmm. You know, the difference between pre-novice and one star is not very much with the jumps, but the speed. And we're all competitive animals. We like to do well. So if you want to do well, you've got to go faster. But 25 metres a minute doesn't sound like much, or 20 metres a minute doesn't sound like much, but it, it's a lot quicker. So... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just think we just need to have our expectations a little bit higher on the way our horses go. And you know, there's lots of good horses out there. And if your horse isn't cut out for it or you're finding it too difficult, then get a better one or get another one. Mm-hmm. You know, find where that horse belongs. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, I see that a lot. I was actually a bit worried when you said, I think we've got to have our expectations higher. I thought you were going to say we should be jumping higher and pushing horses through the grades quicker. But what you're talking about is your long term expectations yeah. and the quality needs to be higher. So it's a higher quality looking at a better long term expectation. Yeah. Yeah, because at those lower levels, you can make mistakes and you can have half strides and and things mm. like that on those low fences, and it doesn't matter. But there comes a point where you can't do that anymore. I mean, nobody's perfect. Everyone has the odd moment where we run a little close or a little far away or don't quite jump through the middle or, or whatever else. But, but when we're doing it often, you know, if, if it's at a low level, that's okay. You can get away with that and keep practicing and keep training. We've all been there, and we often go there again. But, yeah, we need to make sure our horses are really well-schooled and well-educated and we don't accept those poor rounds as, oh, well, that's okay, we'll kick on and go to the next one. We need to have the horse really well established before we go to those bigger classes. Yep, yep. All right, now, Brett, have you got a book that you can recommend to the listeners, something that's going to complement their training? (laughs) Well, my favourite books when I was a kid were the Black Stallion books (laughs) and the Silver Brumby series. But I just like, um, like reading it's unfortunate the horse magazines online now and they recycle a lot of their articles which are really good but I just don't read them as much as I used to because of that unfortunately but I just like the articles when you get some of these professional trainers and they talk about how they deal with a particular issue or something like that but you can just pick up Saddle World and Horse Land and these sorts of shops you know the old uh, 101 basic jumping exercises and you can just pull out of that something that the professionals do where they just set up a little grid or you know just and just a basic principle that you might be working on keeping the horse straight riding a line adjusting the stride so those books are really handy mm-hmm. a book I flick back to very occasionally and nowhere near as often as I should is the um, I don't even know what it's called now. It's a white one and it's the basic principles. It's a German one. Oh, the principles of riding. Yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. Just yeah, just go back into that and just talk about, you know, establishing the contact and encouraging the horse to reach and stretch and things like that. If you've got a little issue, you just go into there and, oh, it just never hurts to refresh and relook. So yeah. that one's always on my shelf and mm-hmm. um, I probably only look at it two or three times a year. I should look at it a lot more often than that, but that's good too. All right. Now, you've got premonition. He's going well. 
I'm thinking, what are you looking forward to? What's the next 12 months, two years hold? Well, he's world-class on the flat and he's an exceptionally talented jumper. So with him, I just need to keep him um, brave and sound. I mean, he's very sound now and he's, you know, his attitude's really good. So I just need to make sure that I pick my right courses to continue to build and develop him. Um, he is a stallion, so he does have a little bit of a mind of his own. That's just the way nature is when they're stallions. So I have to be careful to pick the right courses, but I want to do some of those big events, three-star, CCI three-stars, street events, Sydney, Melbourne, four-star Adelaide. You know, and Adelaide's really two years away, the four-star class, so I'd really like to get to there, but two years is a very long time in the horse sport, so I just need to pick the right courses with him, but I just need to keep his mind right and keep his body strong and continue to build that base of fitness in him to make him a real endurance athlete because we, they gallop for long distances, 11, 12 minutes, which is a mm-hmm. very, very long time, you know, seven kilometres. Yep. So. All right. Now, Brett, can you just in a few sentences summarise your philosophy with horses? My philosophy with mm-hmm. horses? Mm-hmm. I think you have to be very, very patient. There are no easy tricks or, you know, magic silver bullets to fix things. You just have to have... Um, be very, very patient, have a good team of people around you that, that uh, support you and work with you and continue to want to learn. you just got to want to have that thirst for knowledge and understanding and and um, continue to improve your riding. I guess every time I compete, I just try to, try to make sure my horse is a better horse at the end of the competition than it was at the start. Yeah, I don't know if that's really a philosophy, but yeah, yeah you just got to be... You just got to be patient. It takes a long time. Yeah, I think that's good. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Brett, now how can people contact you? Well, I'm on Facebook mm-hmm. and shortly I'll be having a blog where I'm trying to, I guess, have a bit of a uh, an outlet there where we can share a few bits of information. You just want to try and uh, give people a bit of help and a few ideas and it's, often it will just be just my thoughts and ideas. And do you have a name for that yet? Well, I think it's going to be called Reflections on Horses. Okay, yep. And it's not supposed to be a hard and fast training thing or anything like that. It's just putting thoughts and tips and little bits of videos in there and, you know, just general stuff. People are often interested, so to just try and share a little bit of stuff. And so, yeah, through Facebook, there'll be a blog and, I guess, phone. You just have to look the number up through the EA EQ website, I guess. Yeah, or you can have a look through Horse Chats, which will be horsechats.com slash Brett Candle, or if you go to horsechats.com and search for Brett, you'll find those details. And we might also put a link through to your blog, you know, so that so that people can go there and for sure. you know, yep. just read read a bit, a few training tips. And I'm sure people would have got a few training tips and a few of the essentials, you know, like just, you know, you're coming in with a very experienced mind to prioritise you know, about training and about quality and um, some of the things that you said to focus on were really good. So thanks very much for chatting to us today, Brent. No worries. Thank you very much and I appreciate your work. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, cheers. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 